Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you can always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. The Oracle Network. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hi. How's it going? It's going. So I wanted to start this episode by saying I hope everyone enjoyed last week's inaugural historic true crime showcase that we were a part of. So crazy to me that they invited us. That was so awesome. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to it after you listen to this episode, go back and listen to last week's episode. It is longer. It's a little over an hour, but it includes our podcast at the top where we talk Mm -hmm. about the origins of the three blind mice nursery rhyme, which is awful. And it also includes Dial a Crime, Ghost Town, Mm -hmm. Lady Justice, True Crime Historian, and Old Timey Crimey, which was the podcast that kind of put this all together and wrangled everybody together to take part. So kudos to Christy for doing that. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for letting us be a part of that. That's really cool. Yeah. And we are excited to see what the next showcase looks like and see if we can take part again, because it was a really fun experience. It was fun covering a case that didn't require nearly as many source materials as I usually (laughs) use. You got a break. It was an interesting challenge trying to find a case that wasn't super verbose, so I could cover it in a shorter period of time. So... It was an interesting challenge. And that's that. It was fun, though. It was super dark. It was really dark. I now, like, never want to hear that nursery rhyme. Yeah. But enough about Three Blind Mice. This week, we are going to be covering a special case for our boys, Paul and Ryan, over at the Cold Collars Comedy Podcast. So this week, we are covering the Pirate King, Henry Every. It shows a Pirate King, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh. So yeah, there could be so many things, but he sounds like he has an English name. He is from England, so that's part of the reason why they picked him because they are both also from England. So not as many sources this week, which was great. So oh, nice! They were all comprehensive enough. Yeah, half of them were pretty comprehensive, so I didn't have to dive too deep into the rabbit hole of the internet, which is great. So information was pulled from the following sources, a 2021 Smithsonian Magazine article by Isis Davis Marks, a 2018 History.com article, the Britannica website, FamousPirates.com, the Dark Histories podcast, the Pirate King website, and Wikipedia. I had no idea there was a Pirates.com. FamousPirates.com. FamousPirates.com. I feel like, does it have like some late 90s, early 2000s rainbow flames? Nope. It is bare bones. Pixelated bones. 
It's not how you would envision it to be. I, why not? <laughs> I don't know. Write them a strongly worded email. Right. You need to regress your marketing. Yeah. <laughs> I need you to dial this back to the 90s. Thank you. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. So not a whole lot is known about the man who would go on to become the pirate Henry Every. During his time as a swashbuckler, he went by Ooh. many names, John Avery, Benjamin Bridgman, and Long Ben, to name a few. <laughs> Not to mention the monikers, the Arch Pirate and the King of Pirates. Just a fancier wave instead of Pirate King, King of Pirates. Mm -hmm. He was born in Newton Ferrer's Devon, England on August 20th, 1659. And it's believed that he began his nautical career by serving in the Royal Navy and as a merchantman before serving aboard unlicensed buccaneer, which is a Spanish pirate. Ooh, <laughs> they, they specifically said unlicensed. Yes. <laughs> well, because there are like unlicensed buccaneer and slave ships. Oh, yeah. So some of them are like yeah. officially run by the government. And then there are other ones where it's like, we're just going to steal these people and sell them. Right. So he began doing that in 1691 at the age of 32 for the first like 31 years of his life. We're kind of unsure what he did, but it sounds like he sounds like it escalated quickly. Like he was normal. Then he was a merchant. Our Navy merchant. And then he was like, I'm going to do human slavery, like slave trade now. Yeah. Human trafficking. Well, and I think based off what I read, he was introduced to seafaring, I guess you could call it, at like an early age. But then yeah. he didn't officially become part of the open seas or whatever until a little bit later in his life. According hmm. to the PirateKing.com. It was believed that he was a seaman for the Royal Navy in 1671, where he took part in the attacking of a pirate base in Algiers. He also reportedly served as a buccaneer, again, that's a Spanish pirate, on the mm -hmm. Spanish main, in addition to working as a Longwood freighter captain in the Bay of Campeche, which is in the southern area of the Gulf of Mexico, near Tabasco and Veracruz, which I had no idea. Yeah. So he, he really kind of went all over and saw all different types of like good, quote unquote, and bad kind of seafaring before he was like, I'm going to make my own rules. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be king of the king of the unlicensed voters. <laughs> <laughs> In regards to his service on slave ships, it stated that he spent 1691 to 1692 under the employ of Captain Redhand Nichols who was a slaver who worked for the governor of Bermuda on the African Guinea coast. That all sounds terrible. And it all is also inaccurate. The information from the Pirate King, which, even though it's very colorful, has been proven inaccurate. Henry actually started service with the Royal Navy in March of 1689, not long after the Nine Years' War broke out between King Louis XIV of France and England, who were hmm. joined with their allies, the Grand Alliance. Ooh. which consisted of Bavaria, the Dutch Republic, the Palatinate, Saxony, and Spain. Ooh, and they were the Grand. They were the Grand Alliance. Mm. I like to picture yes. them like waving around rapiers, just being like, ooh. -hoo -hoo. All I can think of are like super yachts, which I know did not exist during that time. 
They could be like, we're going to win this war with our fancy arts. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> Loads of cannons. Loads of cannons, you fools. It is noted and records show that Henry Every married a woman named Dorothy Arthur on September 11th, 1690 at St. James Duke's Place in London, England. He would have been 31 at this time. Dorothy worked as a periwig seller. We know what that is. Yeah. And lived in the East End. Ooh. There are no records of them having children. And this is the only time I will mention her as I didn't see anything else on her during my, the rest of my research. Bummer. So I'm assuming he like married her and then he was like, peace out, Dorothy. I am going to go steal people <laughs> and be kind of trash. Bye. <laughs> so if it was 1690, he would have been at the Navy at that time. So I'm sure he would have just been like, I got to go do my duty as part of the Royal Navy. And then he mm. just never came back. <laughs> so and he was like, wigs suck. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> During his time in the Navy, Henry served as a midshipman, which is a low-ranking officer, aboard the HMS Rupert battleship under Sir Francis Wheeler. After the Rupert captured a French convoy off Brest, France, Henry was promoted to master's mate, which today would be con considered a senior petty officer. Okay, so he went up in the ranks pretty quickly then. Yes. In late June of 1690, he followed Captain Wheeler onto the HMS Albemarle, where he took part in the Battle of... Beachy head against the French. Really didn't like the French, huh? Well, yeah, they were still fighting Louis Fourteenth during that time. I know, but he was just like... It was the Nine Years' War. It, he was only one year into the Nine Years' War. <laughs> I mean, you don't get bored. <laughs> you got no more enemies. You got, you're got you on your super yacht, pew-pewing the French. And... Well, they must not have been too bored because they did it for nine years. I know. <laughs> He was formally discharged from the Navy on August 29th, 1690. So he would have gotten married to Dorothy the month after that. Wow. Really rushed into things. Maybe that was the real problem. <laughs> yeah. So after leaving the Royal Navy, Henry took up work on slave ships, such as the Hannibal in 1693 under Captain Thomas Phillips. So there we go. There's like a three-year span of time where we don't know what he was doing. Mm -hmm. So who knows? Well, he definitely was no longer fighting the French. Yep. Licensed anyway. Yep. It was during this time that Henry earned the nickname of Long Ben by turning on slave traders under the guise of flying friendly English colors before luring them onto his ship, then capturing and securing them alongside their former slaves. Ooh. Hmm. Dirty. But also like kind of like misplaced justice. Mm-hmm. Like not really, because he's also <laughs> Trafficking humans. Yeah. But he's like, you know what? You're worse than me for some reason. So I'm going to capture you too. I've decided you're worse. So. So you're going to come with me. Right. <laughs> it was in 1693 that Henry joined the Spanish expedition shipping. Spearheaded by Sir James Hoblon, the venture consisted of four warships that would prey on French vessels in the West Indies. Ooh, he was good at that. Mm-hmm. At the age of 35 in June of 1694, Henry became the first mate on a 46-gun Spanish ship known as Charles II. The ship was licensed to attack French smugglers that hung around Martinique in the Caribbean. Hmm. The ship was docked for several months with little to do, and the crewmen didn't receive their six-month pay from their notoriously drunk Captain Gibson. That doesn't seem surprising. So back then, 
they got paid every six months. So you would do like a six month term, get paid, and then do another six month term and get paid. Yeah. Or you would, I would assume you would leave if you. Yeah. Which to be fair, makes a bit of sense because where are you going to go? You're going to be on a ship. Right. And it takes forever to travel anywhere. So it's not like you're going to be able to go to Target like a month in and be like, I need to buy some sheets. Right. (laughs) So that's how that worked. Understandably, the crewmen were a little pissed off that they weren't getting paid. Mm -hmm. So Henry decided to organize a mutiny on Monday, May 7th, 1694. On a Monday too? Dang. That's harsh. Talk about a harsh week. Bad day for management. (laughs) It surprisingly ended with zero bloodshed. Because at that time, the captain was sick, so he couldn't leave his ship. I mean, that kind of makes sense, which kind of makes the mutiny a little more shitty. Yeah. Like, he was already drunk and now, like, also disabled. Mm-hmm. We're just get, we're just going to keep this now. Yep. <laughs> Go back to bed. <laughs> so after escaping the Spanish night watch from the Spanish port of La Coruna... Henry mm-hmm. gave Captain Gibson and his crew a chance to go ashore if they didn't wish to join him. The captain and several of his sailors accepted the offer and were set ashore with the exception of the surgeon, as he was too valuable to be allowed to leave. That makes sense. And I, for some reason, when when you said the surgeon, I was like, oh, the murderer on the ship. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's just a, like a murderer name. The man with all of the sharp, pointy objects. Right. Gotta keep the surgeon. And all his tiny pointy knives. I also think it's kind of nice that he like gave them the option to leave instead of just killing them outright. Yeah, it doesn't really check out considering his history and in regards to other human lives. Yeah, maybe because he had already been a part of their crew. So these were like people that he knew well, presumably at that point. Yes, you're human enough in my eyes. (laughs) Yeah, we didn't we didn't capture you from somewhere else and force you into the, you know, hold of the ship against your will. So those that remained agreed to a life of piracy under Henry's leadership as the new captain, and he then changed the ship's name from Charles II to Fancy. Fancy? Fancy. Oh, man. Before setting off for Madagascar and the Cape of Good Hope. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Henry's first skirmish as a newly minted pirate captain was against three English merchant ships from Barbados off the coast of the Cape Verde Islands. Nine members of the merchant ships agreed to join Henry's crew, which then numbered around 94 men. They had enough room on, on the fancy ship? Mm-hmm. Dang. This was a really big ship. I mean, it had 46 guns. It was a big ship. Yeah, but that means that there's two guys to each gun. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you don't get your own gun? No. I mean, I'm assuming when they say gun, they actually mean like cannons. Well, yeah. And you would have to have two because you have to like put the powder in, whatever. But I'm assuming they probably had like three at this point, like three per gun. You got to have the one guy that like brings over the cannonballs from the little pile, the little pyramid of cannonballs. Right. The pretty pyramid. The pretty pyramid. The pretty Mm -hmm. death pyramid. (laughs) Henry made a stop in Bioko, which is an island off the west coast of Africa in the Bight of Benin, where he careened the fancy. <gasps> so that means he purposefully grounded the ship during high tide so that the crew could work on one side of the vessel. So they could work on like this part that would normally be underwater. Hmm. And during this careening, he 
razed the craft, which is a French term for removing decks on a ship. So he just refurbished everything? Pretty much. So by doing this, he was able to increase the speed of the fancy, making it one of the fastest ships in the Atlantic at that time. You know what? We don't need a floor. It's fine. (laughs) We don't need this floor. We're going to be a one bedroom up in this bitch. I'm just picturing, you know, like a TLC show where someone comes in and they're like, we're going to just demolish this floor. And really save you some energy. Mm-hmm. Lots of fun. It's so much easier to keep clean without another floor. Yeah. As soon as it rains, just drain it. It's fine. It's fine. Beautiful. So after this, the crew of the Fancy continued to plunder their way along the coast of Africa, capturing two Dutch ships in October of 1694, where they unburdened them of their stores of ivory and gold. Oh, how nice of them. Yep. Mm-hmm. As well as welcomed 17 new crewmen, who I'm sure were like, sure, I'll join your crew instead of dying. That sounds great. great. I was just going to say, I wonder what their options really were. <laughs> Shortly after this, they captured a French vessel near the island of Joanna, adding another 40 men to their crew. I feel like that one was probably a little less voluntary. Probably. Yeah. Considering his history with the French. Yeah. So by the time the Fancy docked at Madagascar in mid-1695, Henry had a crew of some 150 men. So He wasn't worried about their fat asses on that ship? It was still fast? He took away all those decks. (laughs) He was like, we don't need this. (laughs) They're like, where are our bedrooms? (laughs) (laughs) It sucks. He's like, look at this open floor plan now. (laughs) I gotta share a cannon with four other guys. (laughs) I just picture it like, You know how they have the hammocks that they sleep in on the ships? Mm -hmm. I just picture it like a huge bunk bed type thing. Oh, God, it'd be awful. Where it's like five hammocks up. I suppose the open floor plan would be good for like airing them out. Because I doubt it smelled super great. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Having that many men. That's a harsh stereotype, Maddie. Maybe they That's were the, so many farts. Maybe so they were much like sulfur. the cleanest of the pirates. We don't know. I mean, fancy in the name, but you can't hide that many farts. Maybe it was just like a play on words. They're like, we're so fancy. And then they're the exact opposite of fancy. They're just, <laughs> just trash. <laughs> they're just rolling around in their own filth. They get to Madagascar and everybody's like, holy shit, please go take a bath. <laughs> we could smell you from... We could smell you coming. And nautical miles away. (laughs) (laughs) We could visibly see the stench as you were coming into into port. We actually burned the land just (laughs) to help with the smell. (laughs) It wasn't to show you the way. It wasn't long before Henry built a reputation as one of the most feared pirates of the Red Sea. He organized a fleet of pirates with other famous captains of the day, such Mm. as William Watt, who was the captain of the Dolphin. Oh, the cute name. Yep. And he commanded 60 men. And there was William May, who commanded 30 to 40 men on the Pearl. Cute. There was Thomas Two, who was an American captain of the Amity, and he had 60 men. What a lame name. The Amity? I mean, you got Pearl and Dolphin and Fancy and then Amity. He was from America. I mean, yeah, come on. They were young and dumb. And free. Yeah. <laughs> Young, dumb, and free. That's free. <laughs> that was his uh, mixtape. Young, dumb, and free. Amity. And free. Amity. <laughs> that was his theme song. <laughs> there was also Joseph Farrell, 
the captain of the Portsmouth Adventure, and he had 60 men for his crew. And nice. lastly, Thomas Wake, who commanded 70 men aboard the Susanna. Why do I think that they would all do well creating like a Crosby, Stills, Nash kind of like band? They probably would, actually. I mean, even their names kind of fit the bill. Mm-hmm. Their six ships combined boasted enough men, 440 to be precise, Mm-hmm. and firepower to attack the well-armed treasure ships that traverse between the Middle East and India. Ooh. Arguably, the biggest catch of Henry's career came when he took over possession of the Gongi Suai in August of 1695. The Gongi Suai was part of a 25-ship convoy owned by the Grand Mughal Aurangzeb of India that was bound for a return voyage to Surat, India, from the seaport of Mocha. This convoy mm-hmm. included passenger ships carrying some 600 Muslim pilgrims returning from Mecca. Oh, no. After the crew spotted Henry's fleet of ships, they quickly scattered, even going so far as abandoning or burning their slower vessels in an effort to avoid capture. Oh, dang. And actually, I think three of the ships that were part of Henry's fleet, I believe it was the Dolphin and... The Pearl, the Dolphin for sure, was just way too slow. So they had to get rid of that ship. And then that crew joined the Fancy. And I think the Susanna also had to be abandoned. And they also joined the Fancy Hmm. because they were just way too slow. They just couldn't keep up. Kind of funny. Yeah. Henry gave chase, only stopping once night came and hid the location of his quarry. Upon daybreak... Two of the convoy's ships were within range, and after a short skirmish with the smaller of the two, a ship named Fatah Muhammad, it surrendered. But the 40-gun, 400-riflemen-strong gong Isuai refused to go down without a fight. Ooh, that's not good. Yeah. The fancy exchanged a volley of attacks with the gong Isuai and was able to take down the main mast with its first cannon attack which caused chaos amongst the crew. And after coming alongside, a boarding party began a hand-to-hand battle with the Indian soldiers of the vessel. So after a two-hour fight on September 7, 1695, the Gongi Suai finally surrendered when one of the cannons aboard their ship exploded and heavily damaged the deck. It didn't help that their cowardly captain had also abandoned his crew below deck, even going so far as ordering a group of slave girls to fight in his stead. Cute. Seems nice. So with no way to properly defend themselves, the crew and the ship's passengers gave up. Wow. I feel bad for the passengers. Like they're just coming back from a holy vacation, Mm -hmm. living it up. And this was just one of 25 ships. For what we know of this skirmish, only two of the ships were damaged, which means how many people actually survived and were able to get back to Surat. Mm -hmm. But it's still really shitty. It's still really bad. Like knowing our luck, we would have been on that ship. Yeah. So unfortunately for all aboard the damaged vessel, they may have been better off fighting to the death. Uh Uh-oh. Those who survived the attack were tortured into revealing where they'd hidden caches of treasure, and all the women aboard the craft were brutally raped. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Indian historian Kafi Khan wrote the following of the aftermath of the successful capture of the Gongi Suai. Quote, 
The whole of the ship came under their control, and they carried away all the gold and silver. After having remained engaged for a week in searching for plunder, stripping the men of their clothes, and dishonoring the old and young women, they left the ship and its passengers to their fate. Some of the women getting an opportunity threw themselves into the sea to save their honor, while others committed suicide using knives and daggers, end quote. Yeah, I'd probably rather die too, because even if you got off that ship, who knows if you were close to anything, and the people that are going to save you are going to be the ones to rape, torture, and kill you. So, Yep. yep. Awesome. All told, the pirates counted about 600,000 pounds of plundered gold, silver, and jewels. In today's money, that would be just over 127 billion pounds. Yes. Each pirate of Henry's fleet received 1,000 pounds of treasure, which was enough to equate to 80 years of honest sea life aboard government vessels. Wow. And today that would equal just over 212,000 pounds. Insane. And the people who joined his crew, remember the whole six-month payment thing that, they, mm-hmm. that we talked about earlier on? So they had agreed anytime they received a bounty or they like got some sort of score... Each pirate would get a share and the captain would get two shares. So that's how they divided up the spoils. Okay. After the success of the Gong Isui, Henry disbanded his fleet of ships as many of the crew, understandably, wished to retire with their spoils. Yeah. Many traveled to Europe and the American colonies to live out the rest of their days in obscurity. That makes sense. Henry sailed the fancy and the remainder of his crew to the Caribbean, stopping at St. Thomas to sell off some of the cargo they'd acquired during their plunders. At that time, the Bahamas were known to be quite pirate-friendly, and upon arriving at New Providence, Henry and his crew posed as slavers and bribed the governor of New Providence to allow them to come ashore to the sum of some 7,000 pounds, which would be 1.5 million pounds today. He also sold off the fancy and gave him a cache of ivory tusks. Crazy. Understandably, the Grand Mughal was furious over the capture and raid of his vessels. Yeah, and the loss of all of that money. Mm -hmm. And he arrested several high-ranking officials in the English East India Company, thinking they had something to do with the attack, as well as closing several of the trading posts in India. Yeah. Wishing to maintain peace with the Grand Mughal and retain their trade rights, King William III ordered the East India Company to pay back what was stolen, and he swore to bring Henry to justice. Seems like a tall order. Yep. Partnering with the Royal Navy, the East India Company set a 1,000 pound, or the 212,000 pounds today, bounty for Henry's head and began scouring the ocean for signs of the fancy. This would go down as the first recorded international manhunt in history. Wow. After this, Henry was obviously no longer welcome at any of the English (laughs) colonies of the Caribbean. What? What? And after this, not much is known about what truly became of Henry Every. Some believe that Henry changed his name to Benjamin Bridgman, rounded up the last 24 members of his crew, and sailed to Ireland aboard the Fancy. Hmm. At some point, they were intercepted, captured, and at least six of the men were hanged for piracy, but somehow Henry was able to escape and disappear. At the start of the 18th century, the general populace of Europe had much to say about Henry Every. Rumors spread widely about him, such as that he had brazenly married the Grand Mughal's daughter, 
That would be something. And another that stated he founded his own monarchy. Still other tales suggest that he started his own pirate haven in Madagascar, retiring with his loot, which would have been 414,000 pounds today. Because remember, he gets double. Mm-hmm. Historians today have very mixed feelings on the facts of Henry's life and the supposed end to his nautical career. Many believe that he actually died penniless on the streets of London shortly after his retirement in 1696 at the age of 37. Regardless of the manner in which he met his demise, one thing is certain. During the two years he hounded the Red Seas, Henry and his fleet successfully captured dozens of ships and sailed off with tens of millions of pounds worth of treasure. He is also one of the few pirate captains to retire without ever being caught by authorities after conducting one of the most successful raids in the history of the Golden Age of Pirates. Damn. The Golden Age of Pirates was between the mid-17th and mid-18th centuries. Songs, books, and plays have been written about the life of Henry Every, including a rather successful play entitled The Successful Pirate that was performed for several years in London. Henry was also the model for the hero of Daniel Defoe's 1720 novel, Life, Adventures, and Piracies of the famous Captain Singleton. There's also a really cute sea shanty about him. Of course there is. That I'm not going to sing, but I want to read it to you because it's really cute. Okay. So everyone knows what a sea shanty sounds like, so just pretend I'm singing it. (laughs) Okay. Come all you brave boys whose courage is bold. Will you venture with me? I'll glut you with gold. Make haste unto Corona, a ship you will find, that's called the Fancy, will pleasure your mind. Captain Every is in her and calls her his own. He will box her about, boys, before he has done. French, Spaniard, and Portuguese, the heathen likewise. He has made a war with them until that he dies. Her model's like wax, and she sails like the wind. She is rigged and fitted and curiously trimmed. And all things convenient has for his design... God bless his poor fancy, she's bound for the mine. Farewell, fair Plymouth, and cat down be damned. I once was part owner of most of that land, but as I am disowned, so I'll abdicate my person from England to attend on my fate. Then away from this climate and temperate zone, to one that's more torrid, you'll hear I am gone, with an hundred and fifty brave sparks of this age, who are fully resolved their foes to engage." These northern parts are not thrifty for me. I'll rise the antihys that some men shall see. I am not afraid to let the world know that to the South Seas and to Persia I'll go. Our names shall be blazed and spread in the sky. In many brave places I hope to decry, where never a Frenchman e'er yet has been, nor any proud Dutchman can say he has seen. My commission is large, and I made it myself, and the capstan shall stretch it full larger by half. It was dated in Corona, believe it, my friend, from the year 193 unto the world's end. I honor St. George and his colors I were. Good quarters I give, but no nation I spare. The world must assist me with what I do want. I'll give them my bill when the money is scant. Now this I do say and solemnly swear. He that strikes to St. George, the better shall fare. But he that refuses shall suddenly spy strange colors abroad of my fancy to fly. For chivalries of gold in a bloody field, environed with green, now this is my shield. Yet call out for quarter before you do see a bloody flag out, which are decree. No quarters to give, no quarters to take. We save nothing living, alas, tis too late. For we are now sworn by the bread and the wine. 
more serious we are than any divine. Now this is the course I intend for to steer, my false-hearted nation, to you I declare. I have done thee no wrong, thou must me forgive. The sword shall maintain me as long as I live. That's like the longest shanty ever. Right? <laughs> oh my god. It's like a goddamn novel. <laughs> it's like, and there's more, and there's more. So the last little bit is interesting. Okay. An archaeological discovery in Rhode Island in 2014 may hold the clue to what really happened to Henry Every, a 17th century Arabian coin that was minted in Yemen in 1693 is believed to be part of the booty that Captain Every and his crew gained from the Gong Isuai raid. It's believed that he settled in North America, specifically in the New England colonies, after posing as a slave trader in the late 1690s by capturing black captives on the French island of Reunion in East Africa. Um, French again. Documents have come to light backing up this theory after Henry and his crew acquired a ship named Seaflower and landed in Newport, Rhode Island with around 48 slaves in 1696. And whether this theory holds any water is still up for debate. Uh -huh, holds any water. I know, I had to put that in there because I'm clever. <laughs> and that is the story of Henry Every, the King of Pirates. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of him. I haven't either. And he had like the biggest bounty ever. Yeah. He got like a huge score. And then he's like, okay, bye. <laughs> Peace out, guys. <laughs> I'm just going to take these people with me because that, like, that's what I, that's my comfort zone. <laughs> Human trafficking. That's what bye. I do best. So I've been asked to do some promo for these two lads, Ryan and Paul, for their podcast, Cold Callers Comedy. Quite honestly, I've never listened to it because it sounds like sh**. But what I can tell you is that my show, Artie's Artist Acts, is one of the segments, and that is an absolute peaky blinder you can't miss out on. Whoa, what the hell, Tom? You meant to promote our show, not slag it off. I couldn't care less, mate. Well, you should. You're on the podcast. Yeah, how about a little gratitude? Bane, show them how grateful we are. Your precious podcast. Gratefully accepted. Um, we're not giving it to you. Admirable. What a mistake. <laughs> so yeah, listen to my show Cold Callers Comedy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon and all the other podcast platforms The podcast rises Come here So this week's podcast plug is Cold Callers Comedy As I mentioned at the top, I love Paul and Ryan so much <laughs> They are good friends of ours in the independent podcasting community, and I really enjoy their show. If you've never listened to it, it's kind of like a variety hour type of thing. They have different segments they do. They have fun jingles. They have guests on where they will share one-star movie reviews, and you have to try to guess what the movie is based off the bad reviews, which is really funny. That could be really hard. Some of them are super hard, but it's very interesting. That does sound interesting. They also have this segment that I love called Hardy's Hardest Hats, where mm -hmm. Tom Hardy will visit multiple people and see if they have the hardest hat. And ultimately, Bane, who hangs out with him, will kill whoever the person is wearing the hat. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as you do. 
it's really funny. And we'll have a link to their show in the show notes. But if you have never listened to them and you like listening to something a little bit different, I encourage you to check it out. Awesome. And this week's listener question comes from Alex and Christy of the Weird Distractions podcast. And they want to know, in a post-COVID world, would you be willing to do live shows? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be fun. We would have to have some very specific requests for Willie. He would have to be center stage. He would require some form of no-hide bone at every venue. Mm -hmm. A rug that is soft, but not too soft because he doesn't like super soft things. But in Xanax, because... <laughs> <laughs> he, has, he has anxiety <laughs> don't we all right that's also a requirement for us we need some xanax right. too <laughs> we just need a an ativan diffuser that would be ideal <laughs> when i worked in pharmacy we we would always joke about that like wouldn't it be nice if, if somebody could just create an ativan diffuser and then everyone's just fine <laughs> Fine or asleep, <laughs> depending on how they medicate. We just bring our own like humidifier, but it just releases <laughs> low grade narcotics. <laughs> exactly. And we're just like, this is fine. Don't worry. It's licensed. I have no anxiety. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that would be fun. Do people want that? I don't know if we're really at that point yet as far as people having an interest to come see us live, but that doesn't mean that we're not open to it in the future. Yeah. It seems too soon, but like, I'm definitely down. Mm -hmm. Maybe by the time COVID is a distant memory, we'll be at a point where we can consider live shows as part of our calendar of events. It'll be the twinkle in the final tier in the chapter of COVID. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So what's something good you'd like to share this week? Oh my God, I had it. <laughs> I really did. What was I going to say? There's going to be something super lame. Oh, allergy update in general. It's been two weeks and I feel really great. Actually, I haven't had a lot of stomach issues, which is really awesome. But at the same time, really sad because I miss eggs and bread. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't eat those anymore. But I feel like in the name of science, I will have to suffer at some point because egg bakes are a thing and they're so delicious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I need to do that test. I finally installed the Honey app uh, extension in my browser again after nice. not having it forever. So you'll have to send me the link again so I can. Yeah, absolutely. Purchase one. And I have, I have a referral link. I don't know if anyone's interested. I don't know since I haven't, I don't know anybody that's used it. I don't know what the discount is, but I do have a referral link because I took one of the tests. So that's really, it's kind of cool to have your own referral link. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. What was I going to say? Sponsor us. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, hey, I'm disabled. Answer <laughs> <Sponsor> me. <laughs> I was able to do like a socially distant gathering with my friend Carlene. We went to the Franconia Sculpture oh. Garden and they have groundhogs that just like live there. There's like a whole network of them. And I, we both really enjoyed Willie totally not seeing them staring at him blatantly like in plain sight and then him losing his mind and trying to track them under the, the, the tunnels when they finally went under. But it was so funny. The first time he smelled them, I was like, Willie, it's, it's right there. Like it's right, 
Like we we were making eye contact with each other at the same time. <laughs> like me and this groundhog, we were like, is I he going to do anything? I don't know. And he like dips under and then Willie rushes and literally stands on top of it. <laughs> he's like i know he's here and it's like yeah back up like 12 steps and you'll see him but yeah it was really funny it like the entire time willie is a scent dog by the way just so you guys know he is not known for his sight <laughs> but my friend carlene and i had a lot of fun watching him like lose his mind over the smell and totally miss the groundhog like a foot away staring at him <laughs> so that was really fun. What about you? What's what's one good thing? I should have been thinking this whole time. It's hard because like there's a lot of little tiny things. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have one. So as I mentioned in the past, I am a troop leader for my youngest Girl Scout troop. And we were able to have a COVID safe tea party this past weekend. Cute. At a locally run eatery in Lindstrom. And we were able to use authentic like teacups and stuff, like really nice stuff. But I had made special cups for each of the girls just because I didn't want them to break any of the really nice teacups. There. Yep. And it was also just like a fun thing they could take home with them afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I used Sharpies and I was able to make the daisy badge flower on one side Cute. of the mug. And then on the other side of the mug, I put you know, their name, the years that they were daisies, and then our troop number on it. Nice. A sort of like a fun little keepsake. keepsake. Yeah. And we had purchased the little Easter hats that they had at the Target, like dollar spot. Mm-hmm. And we got like fake flowers and the girls got to take their hats home to like decorate them for the tea party. Cute. So it was fun seeing them all dressed up wearing their little tea party hats. So it was really fun. That is, that sounds really lovely. It was super cute. And I think they all had a lot of fun too, being able to do that. And there were, we got to have scones and imitation clotted cream. Cause I guess actual clotted cream is like super difficult to make and you can't really get it anywhere. That checks out. But yeah, that makes sense. Everyone seemed to really enjoy it. So I think we're going to try and make it a yearly thing. That's cute. In between Easter and Mother's Day, because it was a special mother daughter event. Thanks. Nice. Yeah. You ready? I'm ready. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram mm-hmm. at yieldcrimepodcast. You can also find us on YouTube if you search for yieldcrimepodcast. We also have a link in the show notes. If you'd like to send us something in the mail, we do have a P.O. box. You can write to us at yieldcrimepodcast, P.O. box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. You can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We are very quickly coming upon our 50th episode. And I had put a request out on social asking for people to share, whether written or recorded, anything they'd like to have us include in the show, whether that's questions they'd like us to answer or their favorite episode, favorite memories of the show, things they like, kind of whatever you'd like to send us our way. We will be accepting those through May 12th. So if you can get those into us by then, then we'll be able to include it in the show. Awesome. If you'd like to leave us a five-star rating and review, that's a great free way to help support the show. Mm -hmm. And here's a review from Apple Podcasts from user 
over 69,000. And they say, great podcast. Yeah. Five stars. I truly enjoy this podcast. I really like the true crime and history, something that isn't as heavily covered. The hosts are great. They do good research, present the stories very well, and have great chemistry. Definitely give this show a listen. Two thumbs up. Could you imagine if we had trash chemistry and just like fought the whole time? Oh my God. If we had like traveled back in time to when you were in middle school and I was in high school. Hormones. Oh God. You suck. No, you suck more. (laughs) Your face is stupid and I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) You're the embodiment of trash. (laughs) We were fun. It was a fun fun time. Super fun. You can make a one-time donation on Buy Me a Coffee, or you can join our Patreon for as low as a dollar to enjoy great benefits. Each of our tiers will allow you to get early ad-free access to our episodes. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a great incentive. And we also have other fun bonus content the higher up in the tiers you go. And I am not sure what the Tee Public sale is going to be this week because it will be the first week of May and I will not know. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.